This episode is full of spoilers and contains some not-so-super language. citizens welcome to the fortress of potitude i'm dave michaels i'm brian betts and we are the cape podcasters and this is the show that thinks the most important step of rekindling that father-son bond is to become eskimo brothers that's the most important step according to the jones boys it is well i'm sorry dad but no (laughs) i don't want to know where you've been dad no thank you hard pass on that relationship technique I feel like that's the only fitting way to start out today's episode, where this week we are talking about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade from 1989, directed by the Steven fucking Spielberg, again. Again. Brian, you ever seen this bad boy? I have never seen this movie. So now you've seen all of the Indiana Jones films. Yes, every single one of them. Give me your thoughts on this one. This is my favorite one. Fantastic! Like, no, it's it's easy. Favorite. I completely agree with you. And the thing is, is that I think Raiders of the Lost Ark is the best one, but this one is my favorite one. I think that checks out, yeah. I love, love, love this movie. And every single time I watch it, I forget how much I love, love, love this movie. And then I'm just instantly reminded, it is so damn charming and funny and action-packed and goddamn it, I can't wait to talk about this thing with you, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited. They really took the right steps to undoing the darkness of the second one, the Temple of Doom. Well, Temple of Doom is just dark on dark. Like, the tone of it, it just brings you down. It is a bummer of a movie. Yeah. And then this one. It's the anti-Temple of Doom. It's the anti-bummer? The anti-bummer. Somehow they're like, well, bring Nazis back, but make it not bummerish. The old non-bummer Nazis. It's a good move if you can pull it off. You just want to get right into this thing? Let's do it. Monument Valley, Utah, 1912. The good old days. The days when you could just send a bunch of Boy Scouts unsupervised into a cave and let them fend for themselves. They were vaguely supervised. They had the one Scoutmaster who said, everyone off your horses. To do what? I don't know. Get off of them, though. Go spelunking. (laughs) I I like the two boys just walk up this cliffside. There's just two giant holes there. It's like, all right, this is our adventure for the day. (laughs) Going to get our spelunking badges right now. Right this second. The hard way. One of said scouts, Indiana Jones, played by a river fucking phoenix, happens across a cave where a bunch of dudes, led by a guy wearing a sweet fedora and leather jacket, find the Cross of Coronado, a priceless Spanish-American MacGuffin. River fucking phoenix. River fucking phoenix. He's barely in this movie, and he absolutely brings it. Absolutely. I read that instead of studying the character of Indiana Jones, he's just like... I'm going to model this after Harrison Ford. He watched Harrison Ford. He mimicked the way that he speaks in order to get that intonation down. Yeah. Harrison Ford recommended him for the movie, though. He had worked with him before, said, hey, this kid kind of looks like me. That's got to be good enough, right? (laughs) I wish I looked like this kid at that age. Georgie Porgy Lucas and Stevie fucking Spielberg said, yeah, bring him on. This is great. (laughs) All right. You want him, Harry? You got him. Do you think anybody calls him Harry Ford? I don't think he'll allow that, ever. 
<laughs> he doesn't seem like the kind. Be like, yeah, no, call me Harry. I'm pretty sure that anyone's ever called him Harry has never lived to tell that they've called him Harry. <laughs> My name is Harrison. It's Mr. Ford to you, fucko. So Indy sees this priceless MacGuffin, and he's like, it belongs in a museum. So he hops down into the cave, takes the damn thing, and runs out of there. Naturally, this band of MacGuffin hunters don't take kindly to that, and they chase the boy. They do, and Indy's got such a head start. And the editing of this movie says that he has an even bigger head start than we once thought. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those where he's running away, and he does a whole entire interlude of comedy with a horse. (laughs) the MacGuffin hunters don't get any closer no no they don't he jumps on a horse eventually they jump into cars so naturally young Indy has to jump onto a train yeah it's escalating speeds there he gets the horse everyone's like ah one horsepower they get their 1912 cars they're like ah three horsepower (laughs) so then he's like oh sweet train I love it and it just so happens to be the most exciting kind of train it's a circus train how brilliant is that it's incredibly brilliant. MacGuffin boys follow him onto the train, so Indy is forced to get creative with his escape. He's crawling through a car full of snakes, which makes him so scared of them. But that's right after he pulls a snake off of his friend. I don't know the friend's name. I've seen this Herman. thousand times. Is it Herman? It's Herman. He looks like a Herman. I should have guessed that. <laughs> and he pulls. He's like, ah, it's just a snake. But then he falls in this pile of snakes, and he's like, nope, nope, nope. This is trauma. I understand now that the, the fear of snakes... One snake, okay. Many snakes, not okay. It's that extra S on the end. That's what does it. it. It's the extra slither at the end of the snake. Can I say something about this train that's never, ever sat well with me? Really? The drafts. The Okay. This was the first Indiana Jones movie that I watched, and I was little for watching this one. Like, this is one of those way too young movies for me. Yeah, okay. And even when I was little, little Davy Boy, watching a movie thinking everything in the world is real, looking at those drafts going, nope. Mm-mm, not those drafts. Nope, those drafts are, are not drafts. That is set dressing. Yeah, apparently the set could get so loud that they would answer questions with the draft heads by moving them yes and no. <laughs> That's like the weirdest form of communication ever. Yeah. Like, can like you a... imagine being on like a, a battlefield in like the revolutionary times? <laughs> get the draft heads! It's time to charge! One if by draft nod, two if by draft no. (laughs) Then little Indy finds himself in a car with a lion, but luckily there's a whip on the wall. So he uses that poorly. He totally cracks himself in the chin, which is a pretty good origin story for Harrison Ford's actual chin scar. Right. Because we definitely needed that explained. Sure. (laughs) We're getting a lot of things explained very quickly here in the most awesome way possible. The nice men who are trying to kill him help him out of the lion car and then let him get a good head start before they start chasing him again. As you do. Very thoughtful antagonists. It's kind of like when you're playing a game as a kid, how like you're playing and then one kid is actually in just a little bit of trouble and you're like, oh, time out, time out, time out, time out. And they have to pull him up to get him out of that trouble. Okay, time in. And that's pretty much what happens here. Yeah. And then you kick the kid again. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So after Indy nearly gets castrated by a rhino. He makes his way to the most magical part of the circus train, the caboose. And the caboose has a great in-joke for the Indiana Jones production, because it is a magic car in terms of this is where the magician stores his things. His bag of tricks. And it's called Dr. Fantasies. 
And Dr. Fantasy is a famous quote-unquote character behind the scenes of the making of the Indiana Jones films and other films that Frank Marshall has made because it is Frank Marshall, his persona. And Frank okay. Marshall got very well known during the Indiana Jones movies because during Raiders of the Lost Ark, when they had their rap party, I think it was, he tripped and fell into the cake <laughs> as Dr. Fantasy. So then it became like a cake dive type thing that they would do to celebrate. So at the rap party for Temple of Doom, he purposely did a cake dive. Here at the rap party for Last Crusade, he purposely did another cake dive. And everyone just came to appreciate it. And here you get your Dr. Fantasy. He gets his moment on screen in the form of a sign on a caboose. I'm surprised there wasn't a cake in the caboose. That would have been terrific. That would have been the icing. It would have been, yes, Brian. <laughs> so this caboose is full of all sorts of magic trick accessories and the what-have-yous of a circus magician, including a box that Indy climbs into, which then collapses onto the floor, empty, as Indy runs away behind the train, leaving the audience to believe that this magic trick involves a trap door on a train, which is a very specific magic trick that I don't know how that would translate to a circus tent. But here we are. I never understood it, and I've also <laughs> never questioned it all that hard, because it's awesome. Because it is awesome. But yeah, that should be a dead kid underneath those train tracks. It should be a, do you kids want to see a dead body, like, set up for a stand by me. That sort of dead kid should exist underneath this train from doing poor magic. I was wondering when the stand by me reference was going to come in. We got there. We did it. Well, we don't have Corey Feldman this time, so it's just easier to get it in there without being all weird about it. Because Corey Feldman is weird in that movie. Corey Feldman is weird in every movie That's Corey a good Feldman point. is in. I heard it as I said it. That's all right. I just said in movies. <laughs> That's also true. It should just Corey be in Feldman life. Corey Feldman is weird. Full stop. <laughs> oh, man. He is so out there still. Still. He's still just living that Corey Feldman life, man. Except now he dresses up as Michael Jackson. That's true. If you can get away with it, though. Come on. Can he? I don't want to say it's not working for him. Okay. I think that's fair. I'm not going to say it is, but I'm going to say it's definitely not not. I, I won't say that it's working for him, but I won't say that it's not. He's just doing it. He absolutely is. Someone has to. Michael Jackson's not anymore. That's, I mean, how do you know? Good point. So Indy takes the cross home, where his father is busy working on drawing a stained glass window in his little notebook, and Indy tries to tell him that he got the thing from the place, but his father's like, chill, count ten in Greek, you're pissing me off with your childlike wonderment. <laughs> what a father. What a guy. Indy's scout buddy Herman, played by J.J. Hardy, shows up with the sheriff so Indy can turn over the cross and report the illegal dig, but it turns out the sketchy businessman in the Panama hat, who hired the MacGuffin guys, also had greased the coppers. So that's not going to work out too well for Indy. No, it's, it's not. Indy's going to be forced to surrender the cross to the looters, but before the one guy in the sweet fedora leaves, he's like, hey, you lost this time, kid, but you don't have to like it. And he puts the fedora on little Indy's head. I always love that. This guy doesn't get enough credit, Richard Young, as Garth, I guess his name right. is. And damn it, I'm happy they didn't say Garth in this movie or else it totally takes away from the character. Oh, yeah. In the credits for this movie, they actually call him Fedora. It's not until later additional Indiana Jones stories that they give him the name Garth. I thought you were going to say it's like George Lucas went back and made it his <laughs> credits. He just changed his name to Garth. Changed his name in post to Garth. I always kind of looked at him and said, I don't like Fedora. Just a hat. He looks like a Garth. <laughs> Party on, Garth. Get the net. We're also going to add a bunch of Ewoks because they were always supposed to be there. 
If they ever go back and try to do the Star Wars treatment Indiana Jones movies, I'm burning down Skywalker Ranch. I think that's fair. That's on here. It's recorded for forever. Bam. Don't now do you it. you know it's premeditated. Don't do it. It's very premeditated. There's evidence. <laughs> it's exactly it. I'll fucking do it. You don't touch these movies, Georgie. Get off of my movie. <laughs> I bet George has gone up to Harrison Ford. He's like, so Harrison, I had an idea to redo him. And I could just see Harrison Ford just going up to him. just being like, oh, I, I'll rip your testicles off. Is that what you want, George? <laughs> Call me Harry to <laughs> one more time. <laughs> Oh, gosh, that'd be perfect. Even though George Lucas could call him Harry and get away with it. That's probably one person. Not a lot of people uh, using hashtag release the Lucas cut. No, never. Never, ever. But there's always one guy in this scene that's bugged the hell out of me. And I don't even know what he's credited as, but he's the guy who gets way too excited all the time. Oh, I know exactly And he's just about. jumping on going, woo, 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 the entire scene. <laughs> and then he goes outside, he brings the, the cross of Coronado out to Panama hat, and then he gets the envelope, like, woo, woo, woo. If he's not credited as Squealing Piggy, then I don't know what he's credited I as. I don't know either. Like, Suey, that's his name. Suey. <laughs> he's always bugged the hell out of me, though. Yeah, he's obnoxious. So we cut immediately to 1938 aboard a freighter in a violent storm off the coast of Portugal. Indy has tracked down the cross. It took him like 20-some-odd years to do it, but he did it. And it's still in the possession of the guy who's wearing the same Panama hat. Right, just to help us out as the audience. He grabs the artifact, fights off the crew, and dives into the ocean just as a giant wave collapses part of the ship, which is going to make the ship explode every time. Every single time. Water plus ship equals kaboom. We all know that. Indy grabs a life preserver from the wreck and sees the Panama hat just floating nearby. So we did it. We finally killed the guy. (laughs) And this is an actual IMDb trivia fact. The first of, I hate to say it, many. How many? Many. Oh, man. You did this to me. I know. And I don't regret a damn thing because I know it's coming up. That's fair. At least four of them I know it's coming up. And one of them got (laughs) shot down. And we'll get there. That's impressive. Yeah, the magic bullet failed. I'm very curious to see what it takes to make IMDb go, mm-mm, not true. You're going to find out. In the meantime, this is an actual IMDb trivia fact, read as written. The cargo ship that sink in the second act period, <laughs> when Indy is fighting over the crucifix period, as the boat sinks, comma, you can see the name appear on the side, period. It is named Coronado. That's it. That's a fact. Some people like their punctuation and just... Want to throw it around all willy-nilly if they can. Just like whenever they feel like it. All right. Godspeed to that guy getting through the rest of his life. When Indy is fighting over the crucifix is probably my favorite sentence ever. It's got everything you need in a sentence. Words. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) So Indy returns to his university job and gives the MacGuffin to Marcus Brody, played once again by Denholm fucking Elliot. Yeah, he gets the fucking heart in this one, too. He kills this movie. Sure does. And Indy gives him the cross for the museum, and then he goes to his office, where he's surrounded immediately by his students, who are like, rubble, rubble. And his secretary gives him a package from Venice, which he stuffs in his pocket, and then he sneaks out the window away from his students, because who wants to deal with these damn kids? No one. And I want to talk about one student in particular. Because when Indy walks through the door, he announces, like, oh, yeah, I got office hours between... Whatever time and whatever time, come on down. And then everyone comes on down. First of all, I was a student in college. I'm never going to that. 
Ever. No, never, ever. ever. Second I get set free, I'm gone. I don't care about your office hours. Have fun in your office. I'm going somewhere else. Especially for archaeology. It's like, it's, this isn't a math thing that's like, oh, I need just a little help. This is just open a book and read a book. Exactly. It's like, oh, maybe go spelunking. Exactly. But the one person who has always bothered me in this scene, and I'm picking out things that bother me in this movie because I've seen it so many times. Indy walks in the door, and there are two girls who just sit there and stare at him. Like, they're not even there to get help from him. They just want to stare at him. And one girl never, ever, ever breaks eye contact and never, ever says a word throughout the entire scene in the background. And it is distracting and creepy. Wow. I'm glad I didn't notice her. But now I'm probably going to pick her out the next time I watch this movie and never be able to unsee it. Nope. There's a lot of things you're never going to unsee and we'll get there. Oh, great. As soon as he sneaks out the window, Indy is greeted by three men who give off a very come with me if you want to live vibe. Right, and he should be used to this just because of the whole arc situation that he went through of just right. random folk showing up to his school to recruit him for deadly MacGuffin hunt. So Andy goes and meets with Walter Donovan, played by Julian Glover, a generous donor to the museum. Donovan is a wealthy oil tycoon whose drilling team recovered a fragment of a stone marker dating to the 12th century. Andy reads the markings on the stone, which tell of the cup that holds the blood of Christ. That's right, it's the Holy Grail. Different movie. Extremely different movie. Crossover I never knew I wanted. And of course, if you drink from the Holy Grail, you get immortality. And that's that's just a wonderful perk to not only finding the Grail, but, you know, living forever. Right, so you could tell tales of how you found it for forever. If you have that one very specific instance, we'll get there. We sure will. <laughs> Donovan believes that a second marker, left behind by a knight who had found the grail, is located somewhere in Venice, but the man he sent after it vanished along with all of his research. Indy is like, by golly, the holy grail. You know, you shouldn't be talking to me. You should be talking to my dad. He's obsessed with that damn cup. And Donovan is like, who do you think is the fucker that went missing? And I love this so much because we get that backstory on the dad again. We saw him drawing a stained glass window early on in this thing. And then you find out Donovan sent him off on a quest to go find a Knigget in Venice, and he gets captured, and it's like, wow, now we got a daddy hunt and a grail hunt. This is amazing. We get everything all at once. So Indy and Marcus, just to cover their bases, investigate Daddy Jones's house. <laughs> you hesitated for us at Daddy Jones. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I wanted to go with it, but yeah, Daddy Jones. Oh, man. And they find it ransacked and all of his mail opened, and Indy remembers the package he got. And it turns out it's his dad's diary, which details all of his father's research on the Holy Grail. Which is a lot. It is a ton. It just makes me think that, like, Daddy Jones is one of those guys who's always, like, preparing and preparing and preparing, just never actually does. <laughs> that sounds about right. Because this book is thick with two Cs. All he has to do is get a plane ticket and go on an adventure, but it doesn't seem like he wants to do that. Right? It's, it's the thrill of the hunt. If he finds it, he's got to find a new thing. That's true. He's going to have to get a new hobby. And who has time? It's so exhausting. So Indy and Marcus fly to Venice, where Donovan has arranged for them to meet with Dr. Elsa Schneider, played by Allison fucking, wait for it, duty. That's right. <laughs> and can we talk about this flying scene? Because, yeah, we've always celebrated the map that has the red line as they go places. And this yes. one went on for forever. It took its time getting there. It refueled a couple times. And wow. But you know what? I was like, the anticipation, the anticipation. Are we good? Where are we going? I mean, I knew we were going to Venice, but. 
all the stops along the way. That's what yeah. I want to see is refueling exactly. tracks from 1938. I'm so happy I know they landed in Portugal to refuel before they finished the trip to Venice. You could sleep well tonight, everyone, knowing that. And also, this is my IMDb trivia fact that got shot down. Oh? I said, Allison Duty changed her name to be more professional. Her family name is Scat. <laughs> I wonder if somebody actually followed that up. Like, hmm. They sent me a whole submission guidelines thing. I didn't look at it because I know it's all bullshit because I also know what else I put in there that did get approved. That's fair. This is your warning shot. They're going to they're gonna shut you off soon. I don't think they will. Mostly because they've approved stuff for next week already. All right. <laughs> Dr. Elsa Schneider gives Indian Marcus the only piece of Henry's research left behind, the Roman numerals 3, 7, and 10. So the whole gang goes to where Henry was last seen, the Venice Library, which was once a church in ancient Roman times, but now it's a library. And inside this library is a giant stained glass window, which matches the drawing from his father's diary from the day when he got chased on the circus train. It's all very convenient and lovely and tied up with a bow. It is, but it's also like one of those, this is like probably the most important day of this kid's life, and we got to see it because everything formed in one day. It's kind of like the big bang of Indiana Jones. Yeah, it was, it was a very formative day. And now it's all coming to fruition, and that's good. It is. So the stained glass window matching the drawing from his father's diary gives Indy a clue that the library itself is the tomb of the night, which again, wow, how lucky are we? It's a stretch, and it's going to pay off. Yeah, I love that earlier he has the line, and the X never marks the spot, and then he goes up those stairs and looks down, God damn it, there's an X right there on the spot. Which has always annoyed me, because he finds the three and the seven on the pillars, no problem. And then, just for dramatic reasons, he goes up these steps instead of saying, hey, look down. We're standing on it. It's right there. But instead, he's yeah, like, doot-doot-doot-doot-doot-doot-doot. So, uh, I'm going to give it to you right there. I got to get up higher to make sure this is an X and not just some sort of weird crosshatch pattern. <laughs> nope, definitely an X. You can tell because of the serifs. That's right. I was getting it confused with a possible double V, and it is not. <laughs> I see the seven. I see the three, but I'm at, the, I'm at a crossroads here. I'm not sure where the X is. I would have loved if he really leaned into the X never marks the spot, and they actually never end up solving the mystery at all. <laughs> it's like, well, it can't <laughs> be there. It. That'd be insane. That's an X. <laughs> X never marks the spot. Let's keep looking. Let's get out of here. Sorry, Daddy Jones. You're going to die, maybe? I don't know where you are yet. <laughs> You're going to be held in captivity until people find this diary that's in my pocket. And let's talk about my biggest continuity complaint in the history of film. In the history? In the history of okay. film. That's big. It's enormous. Apologies to everybody if you don't know this one, because you're never going to look at this scene the same way ever again. Indiana Jones goes up the stairs. He looks down. And he says, oh, X marks the spot. They go down the stairs, and they start using the end of like the rope holder, the keeper outer, you know. Yeah, the, the, red the pylon that holds the... the yeah. The, yeah. That! That words! You did it! Is that what it's called? Cool. <laughs> and he starts banging on the floor to open up the floor so he can climb on down. As you do. The X disappeared. <laughs> oh, no. Because this no. entire floor is just green now. There is no X. You had to be up high to see the X. See, that was nope. Nope. It's all along. They moved it into the studio, and they just didn't build an X on the floor, and it is noticeable. 
that seems like a very large oversight. It sure is, and it's bugged me for all time, and now it's going to bug you for all time, everyone. Great. Now I've got Staring Student and the X on the Floor. Yep. Wonderful. This one's a biggie, too, because they stay on it for so long. Yeah, because Indy's got to smash through the floor of a library, which is not an easy task because, you know, you got to be quiet because it's a library. Right. And it's good that we have that comedic moment of the guy stamping the books. Some people call him a librarian. I call him the guy stamping the books. <laughs> the guy who stamps books. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, Book stamper. Is this thing weighted? I'm old. I don't know what's happening. Gee, this stamp sure makes a lot of noise sometimes. And far away, what's going on with this? I'm not a very smart librarian. I'm just the guy who stamps the books. In the credits, he's credited as Mr. Dewey. <laughs> so you take that back. He's not. That'd be wild. <laughs> it was his decimal system. He wishes it was his decimal system. This guy looks like he's got some weird Christopher Lloyd, Albert Einstein. I almost said mojo going on. But yeah, he's, he's, he's got no mojo. He's mojo. Mojo-less. Oh no, somebody's stolen his mojo. Different movie, even though that could Very have been different. used for the fourth one. That would be such a weird like callback. It's like, oh, Indy, remember in 1938 when you had to deal with that librarian who you never actually saw? Well, he lost his mojo. We're going to need you to go find it. <laughs> and here's some clues. I wasn't sure what? if this was going to be Indiana Jones and the Lost Mojo or if it was going to be Austin Powers and the Last Crusade. That would have been just as good if Austin Powers had to go find the Holy Grail. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes, please. I don't even yes, know please. what that would be. That would be also a good number four. Yeah, I'm in. 100% I'm in. And you get that age difference, just like you do in Indiana Jones 4. Yeah, Perfect. you do. It would be great. I can't wait. So once they successfully smash through the floor of this library, as you do, you find a network of tunnels containing oil and just a metric fuckload of rats. And Dave, it's time for some rapid-fire actual IMDb rat trivia facts. Rat trivia facts. Oh, yeah. These are solely rat facts from this movie. Oh, my God. I can't believe there's multiple. Oh, yeah. And one of them's not short. Okay. I'm sitting down. Fire away. Number one. 2,000 rats were bred for the production. Breeding them specially was necessary as ordinary rats would have been riddled with disease. It's true. Like I said, a lot of rats. 2,000. According to this fact. We continue. When Indiana says his father hates rats, it is a shoutback, not a callback, a shoutback, <laughs> to From Russia with Love and the scene where James Bond, played by Sean Connery, and allies are fleeing the Russian embassy and a mischief of rats cuts off their escape route. Okay. I like that they included the mischief of rats. Shoutback. A shoutback. Okay. And the final one, when it came to filming the rat scene, the producers inquired of their insurer, Fireman's Fund, whether they were insured if the animals were for some reason indisposed due to illness and accident or simply because they refused to perform. This was a delicate issue as one lost day of filming can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yet the experts at Fireman's Fund were able to reach a compromise which pleased both sides. They asked Spielberg what would be the least number of rats needed for a dramatic shot. If different camera angles were used, 1,000 rats would probably be sufficient, came the answer. Thus, Fireman's Fund underwrote the world's first insurance policy with a 1,000 rat deductible. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then it says 1,000 mechanical rats were also used in the scene, and to help achieve the sound of thousands of rats, sound designer Ben fucking Burt, I added the fucking, used the higher registers of thousands of chickens. That is also very correct. There's a lot happening in that fact, and I love all of it. 
That is so many rat facts. It's it's a lot of rat facts. And also, you got to think about poor Allison Duty here, because in Raiders of the Lost Ark, you have Karen Allen, who had to deal with the snakes. Right. In Temple of Doom, you have Kate Capshaw, who got the bugs. All the bugs. Here, Allison Duty, she's got the rats. The rats. Who's got it best? Who's got it worst? I definitely think that the rats were the worst. She'll disagree. She said they were very sweet. Oh, well, then the rats were the best. Yeah. How about that? And Harrison Ford also, not afraid of rats, apparently. He said, yeah, they're fine. They're fine to have around. I'm not afraid of anything. I tried to teach one how to cook. I put him underneath <laughs> my fedora. He died. So I tried to teach another one how to cook. And I put him under my fedora. And he died. And then they started talking about Fireman's Fund. Because I was just going to keep teaching rats how to cook under my fedora. Can't believe that again. insurance company involved. Because I was trying to appease my culinary interests. <laughs> I figured these rats... They know what good food tastes like. Maybe they could manipulate my body in some kind of way by yanking <laughs> on my hair. Little known fact, I once uh, was up for the role of Geppetto, but I decided not to take it. That's right. <laughs> Famously from And we IMDb know that because facts. of an IMD trivia fact. <laughs> Very into puppetry and carpentry. Exactly. Mostly those two things. Now get off of my MySpace. <laughs> What? Harrison Ford's top eight. <laughs> <laughs> They're all rats. They're all dead rats from under his fedora. Oh, that'd be so good. Don't name them, Harrison. Stop naming them. <laughs> Makes it real. So exploring the tunnel with Elsa, and in the process passing a wall painted with the Ark of the Covenant, Andy finds an ancient casket containing a knight's shield, the second marker. So Andy takes out his little piece of paper, and he puts it over the shield, and he, he takes out his little piece of charcoal river, and he gets to rubbing. <laughs> oh, gosh. The jokes write themselves, don't they? He's already got half a rubbing from the other, from the stone. Yep. So this knight shield is half rubbed. Half rubbed. And he's got a full rub now. And even though he doesn't. He it's, doesn't. It's a he... quarter rubbed, and he gets the top half of this half. And yeah. it's always bothered me now to think about it, because it's only the one side of the shield of the knight that's in there. And the other side is so dusty, and he never bothers to wipe that off. It's like, you just got the greatest mystery of all time off the right side of this shield. What do you think's on the left side, bud? Exactly. There could be like a sweet dragon picture, or it could be, you know, instructions to further get the grail. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Or it could just be an entirely separate thing. It's like, actually, Jesus lives in Argentina right now. He's alive, <laughs> and he's just hanging out. Every time he moves, we have to update this shield, but... It's worth it. It's like the Stanley Cup. We just have to keep etching things. But you're only going to rub a part of this and not get the full story. Right, because dust got in your way, you terrible archaeologist. While all of this is going down, Marcus gets knocked out by some members of a Bethesda cult <laughs> sworn <laughs> to protect <laughs> sworn to protect the location of the Grail. I forgot Marcus was there. Yeah, he was just hanging out in the library. I forgot he was there, too, because it was just like... It was the Indian Elsa show for a minute. I mean, what was he doing there? Because you have Indian Elsa there underground going through these catacombs. And Marcus just above ground in the middle of this library staring at a hole in the ground. Yeah, I guess he's watching. He's on guard watching to make sure nobody. What? <laughs> just got to make sure nobody notices the giant hole in the middle of the library, I guess. I don't know. Oh, man. But he gets got by the Brotherhood of the Cruciform Sword, who also go and set fire to the oil in the tunnels. But luckily, Indy and Elsa escape through the city sewers. Which is wonderful, because they end up 
flipping over the stone coffin, right. the sarcophagus that is holding this knight. They go underneath it, just ignoring the dead body at their feet with the magic shield. And then they find a <laughs> hole somewhere and get out. Right. And they pop up in the middle of this square in Venice. And I love it. How India just comes out and goes, ah, Venice. It reminded me a lot of Raiders when they left the Well of Souls, how there was just a convenient second entrance that nobody bothered <laughs> right. to check for this very secret, super secret location. Like if you have like a PSE and G worker or something like that, who needs to get down in those sewers and he pops down there, he's like, uh, <laughs> there's a knight down here. What do we do with that? I was just trying to find out where this gas leak was coming from. And, and it's everywhere because uh, it's just gas down here. I have so many questions about why the water, they were just fine to be underwater, even though lots of, lots of fire. So much fire. There was so much fire. And at one point, Indy like goes underneath the petroleum and opens his eyes. And I can't imagine you should do that. No, that sounds like it's a terrible thing to do. But I can't imagine Indy's doing very well after just keeping his eyes open, looking for an exit in a pool of gasoline. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like that would at least sting. It's going to be like a weird Andy Bernard video that they shoot after this thing with the eyewash. Oh, yes. Jones. You need to work safer in your workplace or else you're going to end up like me, blind Deanna Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap it up. We, you did it. That's it. You could see the error in my ways, but I can't. <laughs> Don't be like me. <laughs> blind Deanna Jones. It's the best I got today. It's pretty excellent, actually. <laughs> so Indy and Elsa pop up in the middle of Venice through the sewer drain, but the chase is not over yet. They jump into a speedboat, and now they're being chased down by the Brotherhood in boats. Got a good old-fashioned boat chase. Good old-fashioned boat chase. And luckily, they blow up one boat because it's in the water. And you know, boats plus water equals kaboom. Always really, does. It's because these two big boats squish it, and that makes it go kaboom. That's right. Instantly. It's not like there's a crunching before it. It just nope. blows up. And then they get the other guy circling around one of those propellers. And it's like, oh, it's going to chop up his boat. And this is perfect time for Indy to interrogate him. And this guy's Kazim. And he tells them all about the Brotherhood and how their descendants of soldiers swore to protect the Grail with their lives. And Indy learns from him that his father is a prisoner at Castle Brunwald near the German-Austrian border. But I love this. Because Indy's holding Kazim, and the propellers are spinning, and Kazim's just like, I'm prepared to die, are you? And Indy's like, no. Get off of my conscience. <laughs> but then they just both get in the boat with Elsa, just casually. And I love yeah. how Indy gets in like the far back of the boat, and Kazim gets in like the middle of the boat. And Indy has to like climb over this one section, and then grabs it by the collar again. Like, they're not friends now all of a sudden. <laughs> you want to talk this out? Oh, right, right. I was supposed to be interrogating you. Yeah, but then Kazim's just like, oh, let me off at that jetty over there, and I'll give you the answer. And then he just does. And he that's just, the yeah, end of just it. like, all right, so here's the deal. <laughs> Your dad's being held in a castle somewhere near Germany and in Austria. Boom. Have fun storming the castle. <laughs> so before they go to rescue Daddy Jones, Indy tears out the map pages from the diary because they just found out from the, the Knight's Shield that they got to start their quest in Alexandretta. So now that they have that, they can use the map. So Indy tears the map pages out of the diary and sends Marcus to meet up with Sala. John fucking Reese Davis. He's back. I love that he's back. 
And the two of them are going to get a head start on finding the grail while he and Elsa go after Daddy Jones. I love this because now you have like a side quest, which is the main quest. But then the main quest now is the daddy hunt. I don't know. It works, though. It absolutely works. So when he goes back to his room and then he finds that it's been ransacked. So he goes to check on Elsa and her room has been ransacked, too. Both of them, presumably by the men who are looking for the Grail Diary. And in that situation, you have no other choice. You got to do the sex. You have to do the sex. Both your rooms are ransacked. It's pretty much written in the Kama Sutra that when that situation arises, it's time to do the dirty. Exactly. It's like, oh, people are looking for both of us and they're angry and they're ransacking places. They know where we are. We should take the time to do the dirty. Uh, Elsa, let me tell you one place I didn't look. Get on to my... Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Inappropriate. Ah, too much. Too far. I think we did find the limit there, though. That's good. There it was. You have to find that limit, the line. It's important to know where it is. And you did it, Brian. Good That's what I'm, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> so Indy and Elsa. Brian was going to say, get onto my dick. I just want I was going to say donger, actually. Oh, donger. The Richard Well, now donger. I might as well just do the line. <laughs> <laughs> At this point. Get onto my donger. Hey, come on. Don't do it in the voice. Oh, whoops. Because that makes it real. I did it as Brian was going to say. And then you're like, oh, Harrison Ford voice. I mean, my Harrison Ford voice just sounds like Christian Bale Batman voice. So <laughs> That's true. And that might even be better, actually. I'm not wearing protection. <laughs> I mean, it's basically the same thing he says in that movie. It's true. As we all know, Indiana Jones wears hockey pads whenever he does the sex. We're very well documented. Weirdly enough, in his dad's diary. That's right. His dad drew pictures of it. It's weird. So Indy and Elsa fly to the German castle, and Indy discovers who's behind all of this. Nazis. I hate these guys. And I love the way that he gets into this castle because he pulls up to the front door. He borrows Elsa's beret and he walks in (laughs) and he's doing a Scottish accent saying that he wants to look at the tapestries. I love it. It is perfect because the Nazi butler man, the dorm, I don't know what to call him. I have no idea. But he says, if you're going to look at the tapestries and I'm Mickey Mouse and anyone who says that's going to get hit, no matter if they're Nazi or not. That's right. You can't call yourself Mickey Mouse and not get punched in the mouth. Exactly. It's why Walt Disney stopped. Unless you're Mickey Mouse. Well, if you're Mickey Mouse, even he should get punched more often. Honestly, though, if you're Mickey Mouse and you're walking around saying, I'm Mickey Mouse, then you're going to get punched in the mouth. You got that big mouse energy going. Maybe don't be so, I don't know, brazen about it. Like, we know who you are. You don't have to be such a diva, Mickey. You got all these hidden Mickeys around there. We know who you are. Uh-huh. Ow, my face. <laughs> I don't know why when you said ow, my face, I imagine Mickey Mouse like in American History X with his mouth just on that curb. Oh, God. I, they said you could punch Mickey in the mouth. I didn't say you could curb stomp him. <laughs> I don't know what the difference. In my mind, the same thing. Oh, I know okay. one's with a fist, one's with the bottom of a boot on a curb. Never but get in a fight with Dave. It's going to turn like Mickey into like a Pac-Man. Walka, 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 walka. <laughs> then he actually does kind of look like a dead mouse helmet. Now I think about it. Actually, yeah, that would that would do it. He'd be a full dead mouse. Maybe that's how it happened. You curb stomp Mickey, you get a dead mouse. <laughs> he got cocky. He had to get put in his place. Just started showing up to places like, do you know who I am? <laughs> Mickey, bite the curb. It's going to happen again. <laughs> this got dark. 
Garsh, don't hurt my friend. <laughs> oh, Garsh. Well, gee, Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you biting that curb like that? <laughs> oh, man, that'd be so good, though. Would it? <laughs> I love it. I love the situation of Mickey Mouse's, like, playhouse or whatever it is. Just because Clubhouse getting too real. Just way too real. <laughs> oh, I told you to get off my turf, motherfucker. Why don't you get on this donger, huh? <laughs> Gorsh, he's not wearing protection. <laughs> well, guys, if we can't do Marvel movies anymore, it's because Disney sent us a cease and desist. That's right. Why don't we have to say to them? <laughs> that was too good. Translate that however you will and duck. <laughs> I can't believe you said that. Yeah, I'm not going to even apologize for it. <laughs> I will apologize if any kids are listening for what I just said, not for curb stomping Mickey. There's a reason we have that warning up front. Exactly. It's because this situation was inevitable. We always knew one day we were going to have to do it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I was Mickey with his mouth on the curb. Yeah, there was a visual associated with that of Dave just biting his arm, but it got too real for me. <laughs> I had to back out. Who would this turf war even be with? Unless it's like a Toontown situation, Roger Rabbit-like. Oh, yeah, it's got to be all the Warner Brothers characters. Yeah, you know you stinker. <laughs> well, you curb-stomped Mickey, so yeah, you're a stinker. A little bit of a stinker, yeah. Be very, very quiet. <laughs> I'm curb-stomping Mickey's. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh, God, that's despicable. <laughs> Long story short, Indy finds and is reunited with Henry Jones, played by Sean fucking Connery. He's finally arrived in this movie. The wait is worth it. Absolutely. And then together they fight some Nazis, only to be double-crossed by Elsa, the blonde-haired, blue-eyed doctor with the last name Schneider, had been a secret Nazi the whole time. How do you not see this coming? I did not see that coming. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Except I did. It was, it was very obvious. I'm an archaeologist, not a sociologist. That one's not on me. And it turns out she also did the sex with Indy's dad. She likes riding those Jones bones. <laughs> oh, boy. Dave, I have another actual IMDb trivia fact for you. Yeah, I bet you do. During the Castle Brunewald rescue, Henry Jones Sr. expresses dismay at Indiana inadvertently bringing the diary into enemy hands, saying that he should have mailed it to the Marx Brothers. Harpo Marx revealed in his autobiography that he once actually had to smuggle a journal of important documents out of Russia to keep them from falling into enemy hands. And you know he stayed quiet about it. I mean, it's Harpo, so you don't have to worry about that. He comedically got it out of there. I bet it was hysterical, because everything Harpo does is. It's true. But he was very quiet. <laughs> Super quiet, but very funny. The Joneses discover that the person behind all of this is Walter Donovan. Bum, bum, bum. He wants the Grail to give himself immortality, because obviously that's what you want the Grail for. Of course. Indy and Henry are bound in the castle, but they manage to break out through a series of secret doorway shenanigans and a lot of fire. I really, really like this sequence a lot. It's so much fun, the way they just keep going around this fireplace secret door. It's just wonderful, though, because Henry Jones just 
bumbles his way through this movie for the most part and makes it so much harder for Indy to do anything. Yes. And you would not expect that from this father figure who is all knowing about the Grail legend and lore, and he just can't get it together enough to help them escape. He's the one who's causing all the issues. He is the catalyst for all the chaos that's happening. He's the one who lights the fire, and it's a hell of a fire. And I like how he's like announcing where it is, like, oh, the floor is on fire. Now the chair. Oh, now the table. Now the table. <laughs> Junior! Don't call me that. Junior! They said don't call me that. Junior. All right, I'm going to let it slide this time. <laughs> Indy and Daddy Jones commandeer a Nazi motorcycle and sidecar and escape the pursuing German soldiers. But Henry makes Indy backtrack to Berlin to retrieve the diary because it contains clues about the traps that protect the Grail and the keys to defeating them. And in this little motorcycle chase, they end up on this dock with a boat. And there's three boats there. And they untie the middle boat and they say, no, don't worry, let that one go. And the Nazis go and see the empty boat in the water. They go, everybody into the boat. We're going to go chase that empty boat that's clearly <laughs> empty and not far away. And they get onto the boat. And before it even leaves the dock, Indy charges out of a crate with this motorcycle at the sidecar. And I really, really like how amused he is by himself. Oh, yeah. He's loving his clever little ruse. And Henry Jones just winds his watch. Yep. He's like, all right. That was the worst misdirect I've ever seen. And it was because why not let them... Get away from this dock first before, before you, yeah. barging out. It's very silly, but here we are. That exit was a bit premature, Junior. Well, that's not what Elsa said. Oh, wait. Because with the sex, it lasted right. a while, Dad. <laughs> you don't know anything about what it's like when I get to loving on a lady. Actually, I have pictures in my diary. <laughs> I drew it, Junior. I went Dr. Evil for some reason. <laughs> did just a little bit. <laughs> Sean Connery, Dr. Evil, same thing. Same thing. Junior, I drew you like one of my French girls. <laughs> We're just combining all movies now. We have to. There's, there's only one movie, it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> That's the world we live in now. It's all just one movie, just Everything different chapters of it. One movie. <laughs> Ever since Mickey died from being curb stopped, <laughs> continuity has ended. Property rights are just all askew. It's oh, all bye, gone. Bye, this here Mouseketeer guy. <laughs> the day that continuity died. That's right. It's like Ready Player One, but IRL. <laughs> right, right. The real metaverse. All the property is just everywhere, scattered about. <laughs> like Space Jam 2, except... Maybe you might want to see it. Space Jam 2 was a gigantic pile of dicks. <laughs> Dongers, please. Come on. Apologies to Richard. You're right. <laughs> We're allowed to kill Mickey. We're not going to go blue. <laughs> a clue, a clue. That movie sucked. <laughs> so Andy and his father trek to Berlin. They find Elsa standing with Hitler and his highest staff at a Nazi party book burning. Just, you know, good times. Classic Nazi stuff. As, as you do when you're a Nazi. That's right. So Indy retrieves the diary from Elsa by, you know, doing a little bit of strangulation. Yeah, and it's weird because he grabs her by the throat. He says, all I have to do is squeeze. And she says, all I have to do is scream. And she's, she's absolutely right. Yeah, it's not going to go over well for either of them, really. I'd have to right. imagine. So she gives him the diary. Yeah, just what? like that. What? 
It's a very confusing scene. She's also sad about the book burning. So we're like, okay, is she really a Nazi? I don't know what's happening here anymore. I do think she is a proper scientist or archaeologist or some yes. ologist. I don't right. know what it is, but she seems to disagree with what's happening. Yes, that's, that is true. But Indy retrieves the diary, and he's disguised as a Nazi soldier. That's how he got into there and got to Elsa. But when he attempts to leave the rally, he's pushed by an excited crowd and finds himself face-to-face with Hitler himself. That's not what you want, ever. Yeah, you never want to be that guy who's like, oh, here I am in disguise as a Nazi sitting in front of Hitler. He's definitely going to know. Maybe I just hand him this book and see what happens. And he does. And Hitler autographs it. And it's wonderful. It is hilarious. Also, great movie Hitler. Yeah, that is Michael Sheard, who has played Hitler like five different times and also Himmler three. So, I mean, if that's how you got to make your money. (laughs) It's not good when you get typecast as anything. It's especially bad when you get typecast as Hitler. Yeah, it's, it's not the best thing for your resume. Nope. Nope, nope. It's like one of those special business type things. It's like a background actor or something like that. It's like, what do you have? Oh, I can shoot basketballs real good. (laughs) What do you have? I look like Hitler. (laughs) I grow a particular set of mustache. (laughs) (laughs) Not great. Not great. Not what you want. uh, not, Not what you want at all. I do have another actual IMDb trivia fact for you. For the scene at the Nazi rally in Berlin, when Indiana Harrison Ford confronts Elsa, Allison Duty, and steals back the diary, Steven Spielberg had all of the extras who did the Nazi salute simultaneously put their other arms behind their back and cross their fingers. Okay, that is superstition right there. Just just so you, everybody knows, you're not actually doing the Nazi salute because you're crossing your fingers, like like the wife in the Truman Show. That's right. <laughs> you cross your fingers means you don't mean it. All right, whatever works for you, Stevie. Whatever you got to do. Andy and his father go to the Berlin Flughafen to escape. Andy books tickets aboard a Zeppelin but they're being searched for aboard the Zeppelin by Nazi Colonel Vogel, played by Michael Byrne. Killing it, too. Absolutely crushing it. Looks a lot like a Nazi. I believe it. Yeah, he's got that Nazi look to him. It's not hard. He's... Blonde hair, blue eyes. That's all it <laughs> usually takes, unless you got that weird Hitler look going on, which just particular set of mustache, as you said. Right, right. This guy would not have been a convincing twist. No. Would have no. called it out immediately. That guy's a Nazi. And this is the beginning of the movie where I don't even know the Nazis are the bad guys yet. Right. <laughs> Andy once again disguises himself because he's doing a lot of that in this movie. This time it's a ticket taker, and he literally throws Vogel off the plane. And then he delivers the classic line, no ticket. I was in tears. I was in tears laughing so hard. I loved it. I love when you could see movies that Kevin Smith adores and yes. how he just steals from them in the most beautiful way possible. And I also love Harrison Ford in a little suit. I don't know why. Yeah, right? There's something about an ill-fitting suit on Harrison Ford that's just like, yep, that works. You got him to really commit that day. He's having fun. He's having a ton of fun. So this Zeppelin's in the air. Indy starts celebrating. Sean Connor's just like, no, don't do that. I'll be happy when Germany's behind us. They get right. to have their drinks together. They're having a good time chit-chatting. You start to see this bond that they don't have at all. And Sean Connor even says, you weren't interesting until you were 19. (laughs) What kind of fucked up dad is that? Wow. All right, dad. Cool. (laughs) But they are trying to rekindle whatever might have been there because they both do care a lot about this quest that they're on. They finally have something in common that they're going after, a common goal. And they're, they're trying to mend this bridge. It's unfortunate 
that the shadows start shifting around in this Zeppelin, and they notice they're going back to Germany. Yeah. They're like, Not great. Uh-oh. Now we need to get off of this plane, which is a Zeppelin. That's right. But they're going to use a plane to get off of the Zeppelin. That's true. Which I didn't know this was a thing. And I have for that another actual IMDb trivia fact. Indiana tells his father that he can fly a plane, but not land one. Harrison Ford is an accomplished pilot in real life who has also had two crashes. That doesn't make you an accomplished pilot. (laughs) No, it doesn't. That just makes you a guy who holds a stick and doesn't know what he's doing. That is a very fun IMDb trivia fact because it's like, this guy is great. Also, he crashed twice. (laughs) (laughs) He's like the kid in D2 who can't stop for the most part. Yeah, that, that's great at flying. Terrible at landing. So not good at flying. That's half of it, I feel like. Once you're in the air, it basically flies itself. It does. Realistically, you've defeated gravity by getting enough lift to get in the air, and now you have to work with gravity to get yourself back down to the ground safely. You're not a good pilot if you can't right. land. Landing the plane's half the battle, and knowing is the other half. That's right. <laughs> so they teach in all aviation school. So Indy and his father jump into a biplane attached underneath the Zeppelin, getting into a dogfight with a pair of Nazi fighters and are forced to land when Henry shoots the tail off their own plan with the machine gun. And I love how Indy says, oh, what happened? To which Sean Connery says, they got us. They got us. It's wonderful. It's so good. So once they land, kind of, they crash land. They steal it's a called car. landing with Harrison Ford. That's a land. <laughs> That's true. Classic Harrison Ford landing. So after they pull off their Harrison Ford landing, they steal a car and they escape one plane that crashes into a tunnel because this guy also doesn't know how to land a plane. No, but also they go around this bend and there happens to be a tunnel there. But before Harrison Ford is like, oh, it's going to be a close one. It's like close one to what? To the thing you can't see? <laughs> He's going around this, this corner to a tunnel. And I like that the plane's just going to follow him, even though if there's no tunnel, this plane's just flying into a mountain. That's right. That's the thing about tunnels, is that they exist to go through a mountain. So this pilot here is really lucky that there is a hole in the mountain for him to go through. Yeah, because all he was going to do was just drive into a mountain. He he was like, all right, they're going to roadrunner me, so I'm just going to wily Coyote this shit. He does, and typical for an airplane to have its moment on screen, it waits until it gets out of the tunnel to be a diva and explode. Oh, yeah. I mean, of course. Doesn't do it in the tunnel. You can't have explosions inside tunnels. That's just not the way physics work. <laughs> just like you have to put a boat in water before it can blow up. That's right. Glad we cracked that case early on. Yeah. And they've been consistent with that one. They sure have. So they're driving away. They've defeated one of these German fighter planes. But the second one comes and drops a bomb right on their car, destroys it. So they have to defeat him with seagulls. It's great because... This fighter plane is shooting at them. They realize they're screwed. Henry Jones grabs his umbrella, starts going after these seagulls to make them fly up in this crazy, sully PTSD dream. <laughs> also, they're not seagulls that fly up because apparently you can't train seagulls. But no, you, you can can't. train white doves. So this is kind of John Woo's also wet dream to bring down Sully. It's a weird combination of things. It is. It's funny because I read two different IMDb facts, one that said they were doves and one that said they were pigeons. They were doves. They used a bird of peace to kill. But they were supposed to be seagulls, so they were they were acting. The doves were acting. That's right. The doves got very into character. <laughs> very method. Method doves. Fine. I'll buy it. 
So Indy and Henry rendezvous with Indy's pal Sala, where they learn that Marcus has been captured by Nazi agents and taken to Donovan with the map pages from the diary. And I love how Indy gives this whole speech to the Nazis about Marcus Brody having the map. He's like, oh, he's got a two-day head starting. He's going to blend in. You're never going to notice the guy ever. He's he knows God. 14 he's completely languages. God. Cut to just an absolute idiot of Marcus Brody trying to figure <laughs> out where he's going. And Indy says, yeah, he once got lost in his own museum. It's that type of guy. It's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Comic relief. As if this movie needed any. This movie wasn't fun enough. We needed to add in Marcus Brody just having a blast. That is a flex right there, where you need comic relief and a fun movie. Yeah. So Andy, Henry, and Sala start tracking down Donovan's exploration group, and they find it, and they see it's escorted by a company of Nazi troopers, and they have a tank. They sure do. It's going to make things real interesting. It is, but it also isn't, because it's not a fast-moving tank. No, it's a very slow tank. And it also has its limitations on where it can look and turn, but Indiana Horse manages to stay in the way of it at all times. Yeah, I mean, you gotta run around in a, in a, on a horse in front of a tank. It felt like Austin Powers where the guy with the steamroller yelling no for like a minute straight. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's Indy on a horse with a tank trying to get so out of the way. why do you just keep riding around in front of the tank's gun? That's silly. What you gotta do is you gotta get real tight to that tank. It can't turn very quickly at all. And you can just kind of defeat the tank by being within its like weird perimeter that they're never gonna get you. That's how you defeat tanks. It's true. You just got to be next to them. But nope, not Indiana Horse. Not Indiana Horse. A group of the Brotherhood of the Cruciform Sword ambush the Nazi convoy, which gives Henry the cover to try and rescue Marcus from inside the tank. But instead, he also gets trapped inside the tank. Not what you want. Not ideal. So while Indy is riding around the tank on his horse, Marcus and Henry are inside fighting the Nazi soldiers. And it's all just like buffoonery somehow making it that they kill Nazis. And it's it's great. It's like accidentally winning fights. It's the only way that these two characters can really help. Yeah. Well, Indy does all the badass tank stuff outside. And yeah, Harrison Ford is doing a lot of the stuff. Yeah, he is. You put the two oldies inside the tank. You kind of fridge them, but you play inside that fridge a little bit too. Yeah, there's there's fun happening in the fridge too. And sorry to say fridge here. I know we're going to get to the fridge next week. The true fridge. <laughs> but for 1989, they're fridged. This is the, the, the 89 fridge where you can still have fun inside the fridge. You know, that's right. <laughs> we'll get there. Outside the tank, Indy is fighting with Colonel Vogel and also hanging on to the tank for dear life. Again, the tank not moving fast at all. No, no, just really just puttering along shooting some stuff, missing most of it. He's hanging on to one of the guns of the tank. If he lets go, probably not going to be hurt at all. I'm not even going to say that badly. I'm going to say at all. Yeah, unless he falls underneath like the track of the tank. Avoid that. He's between a rock and a tank place, so. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> because this tank is edging closer and closer to this cliff, and Indy's caught between the two, and he's like, uh, I don't know what to do. Luckily, some shenanigans happen inside the tank, and it turns at the last second. He doesn't get squished by a rock. He probably would have exploded. Probably, even though he's not a boat and he's not on water. Right. People plus rock equals explosion? I mean, it checks out. It doesn't not check out. Andy rescues Marcus and Henry from inside the tank, and then the tank drives off a cliff, and it doesn't look like Indy got out in time. 
And we know Ernst Vogel did not get out in time. No, we definitely know that he didn't make it. Mostly because we see him in all sorts of ILM magic going down the side of this cliff as he's like in the tank. And when tanks land at the bottom of a cliff after going over the edge, they don't so much explode as they just tumble a lot and it does not look nearly as cool as you think. Yeah, it's just kind of like a tank rolling down a hill. Thought it'd be cooler. Oops. What can you do? So Marcus and Sala and Daddy Jones are mourning the death of Indy. He kind of walks over and leans over the cliff to see what they're looking at. And they're like, oh, you're alive. Cool. Let's let's keep on moving then. Well, you have that emotional moment of Henry Jones looking over the edge. He's like, oh, I could have told him anything. I I just needed five minutes. Like, that's not a lot to tell him. Let's see, right? You, you had very little to say, and yet you still couldn't. All right. All right. Father of the year. I don't think he's ever going to get that award. <laughs> Never, ever. It's not likely. It's not looking good for him. I don't even know if he'll be nominated. He did come in first place with Elsa, though. Because that is a sloppy second situation with Indy. Sure is. So he did win something, I guess? I suppose. That's the way you want to look at it. It's the only way I can look at it, I think. Get off of my dad. (laughs) If that line was in this movie, that'd be amazing. (laughs) So the four of them reach the Canyon of the Crescent Moon, where the secret temple that houses the Grail is located. Inside the temple, they spy on Donovan's party attempting to enter the Grail Chamber, but being stopped by its defensive traps. And we should say that the entrance to the Grail Chamber itself, where all these trials are about to take place, it's Petra. Yeah. And it looks amazing the way they shot this. Incredible. It also doesn't look like it's super secret. It is not at all. (laughs) But for the sake of this movie, 1938, very, very super secret. Absolutely. So while the four of them are spying on Donovan's party and the Nazis, they're captured, which is not what you want. And in order to force Indy to retrieve the Grail, Donovan shoots Daddy Jones, leaving the healing power of the Grail as the only chance to save his life. Which is ballsy even to do that, because it's like, you don't know what this Grail can do. Right? Like, you're just assuming that it can see. I know it grants immortality, but probably to people who are still alive. Right? It's not like Dr. Holy Grail here. Yeah, just pour some water on it. It'll be good. (laughs) I I don't know. That's always bugged me just a little bit, and we'll get there. But it's a weird way to show your power, to make someone do something for you. Right. You can't shoot me. I'm the one who knows how to get there. You're right. I'm going to shoot your dad. Now go save him. I guess he's going to have to do that. Whatever you got to do, right? So Indy, guided by his recollection of his father's diary, faces the three challenges, which are one, ducking, two, spelling, (laughs) and three, walking across an invisible bridge, which is really just a painted bridge that hasn't accumulated any dust in 700 years. That's right, and it's only camouflage from one angle that the camera sees, and it's not the same angle that the character would see. That's true. I mean, the first challenge you had to duck. If you ducked here, you would see how to do it. Exactly. (laughs) But it does look really neat. It really does. That reveal is pretty cool. I'm a big fan of it. Indy successfully navigates the puzzles and finds himself in a chamber with a bunch of cups and a really, really old guy. It's the Guardian of the Holy Grail. He is the Guardian of the Holy Grail. He's one of the three knights from the Crusades. Played by Robert Edison, and this is his first film role. Is it really? Yeah, he was a uh, stage actor, and the entire time he was on set doing this, he had to keep checking if he was doing it right. And they told him, will you calm the fuck down, please? Please. <laughs> did I Did I do that right? 
as long as you get off my line, we're going to be fine. <laughs> He's been chilling in this cave, living that immortal life and protecting the Grail for 700 some odd years. Mostly because the immortality doesn't work if the Grail leaves the temple. It's important to note. It sure is. Donovan and Elsa burst into the room, and Donovan has Elsa choose a cup for him, knowing that if it's the wrong one, he'll receive the opposite of immortality. Which is death. Death, right. She makes an incorrect choice on purpose. The sneaky girl. I love that look back to Indy after she picks the cup, and she's like, got him. <laughs> hey, hey, he thinks this is the right one, right? <laughs> Sucker. Ah, so it's Moira. <laughs> Moira. Donovan drinks from the cup and rapidly ages before them and dies, and it is the coolest thing. It looks amazing. They use three different model puppets for this and then just kind of mesh them together, like morph that them ILM in a way. Magic. And man, does it work. And I love how it like explodes backwards and then the dust oh. kind of clears and he's got that Nazi pin. So it's like, yeah, he was a super bad guy the whole time. We knew it. Yeah. Oh, the worst. And then you got the knight who just kind of like twists the knife on the dead man even further. He chose poorly. Poorly. And it's one of the best line readings you can get ever. Yeah. And then he, and then he immediately followed it up with, did I do it right? Am I, am I doing this right, guys? Super insecure about this. <laughs> he really was. Now it's Indy's turn to pick a grail. And this is an actual IMDb trivia fact. In the scene where Indy has to choose which cup is the grail, he picks the right one by saying, that's the cup of a carpenter. The Bible never says outright that Jesus was a carpenter, but since his earthly father Joseph was, in that culture... Jesus would have been raised learning the trade. Interestingly, as a struggling actor, Harrison Ford used a book on carpentry from the library to start doing odd jobs to earn a living. One of those jobs was working on George Lucas's house. And I don't think this is one of Dave's. It's not. It has all of the makings of a Dave one, but I don't think it is. There are apparently a bunch that have all the makings of a Dave one because people message me. You haven't gotten one yet. Uh, yeah, I have, I have a feeling I, I know which ones are yours. Okay. And we'll get there. There's certain breadcrumbs that I've been leaving just to kind of, you know, tease. Just there's, tease. there's a trail to follow for sure. January is my setup month. Shit's going to get wacky after this. I think it will. I'm very excited. And if you have Patreon, you'll know shit is getting wacky in Groundhog Day. <laughs> you should get on Patreon and listen Definitely. to that episode when it comes out. I imagine it's going to be chock full of... Very silly IMDb trivia facts. There's a bunch. So Indy chooses an unassuming drinking vessel and drinks from it, proving it to be the true Holy Grail. Because, you know, Jesus was just regular, dude. But I like when Donovan took the sip fit. He's standing there just all fine. He turns back, looks at the knight, and he's like, I'm still fine. Oh, wait, I'm not fine. Oh, no, I'm dying rapidly. With this one, Indy takes the sip of it, turns to the knight, and the knight's just like, nailed it, dude. You chose wisely. Good job. Did I do it right? And then what I love even more is that the knight's just like, thank God I finally have someone to pass this protection down. I'm out of here. I'm so old. I just want to die. And he's like, whoa, no. <laughs> oh, actually just wanted to test it. I don't actually care about immortality. I'm going to get out of here as soon as I can. It got really, really close to like a Santa Claus situation here. Right, but I'm like, happy it didn't for Indy's sake. <laughs> no, you drank from the cup. You're Santa now. That's exactly it. <laughs> Uh, you couldn't have just hung out with a guy for like a couple of years. Or even just a couple of minutes. It's like, <laughs> I get your dad, he's dying, but 
go fix your daddy and then come hang out with the knight. I bet he's got some cool. No, he lives in a cave. No, he's been in a cave for a long time. He probably doesn't time. have any stories at all. No. If he saw a car, it would blow his mind. <laughs> I would love to get him out of there and just put him in like the real world, like a Bill and Ted's situation here. Yes. Bring him to a mall. It is the 80s. It's going to get weird. It's not the 80s, though. It's the 30s. That's true. Movies made. Yeah, I got confused. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> so knowing that he has the right holy grail, Indy runs off and uses it to heal his father's wounds. And he makes daddy drink out of it, and then he just pours it on his belly. <laughs> yep, and, and just magically makes the gunshot go away. Well, okay. That's good that just they can for do like, that. Like a bullet to pop out, but it just looked like somebody was doing a, a middle school science experiment on his tummy. That's right. So that bullet's definitely still in there, and it's yeah. probably going to cause issues down the road. Yeah, but he's immortal until he leaves. That's also true. And then it's going to be like, oh, I think there's a bullet in there. And then Elsa decides that she wants to leave with the Grail, which is not ideal because, you know, the guy just said the thing about the immortality and, hey, like, don't leave with the Grail. Elsa, please stop. No, that happened. But the weirder part about it is that Indy heals Henry and Henry's holding the Grail and he's looking at it. He's like, wow, the Holy Grail was the family we made along the way for the most part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's this cup here that I've been looking for my whole life. And then he just puts it down on the ground. And that's where Elsa finds it. It's like, you have the Holy Grail in Go. your hand. This is the Holy Grail of Holy Grails. And you're just going to put it on the ground? You literally have a diary that's the size of a Bible about this one cup that you've been carrying around your entire life. And then you're like, okay, cool. Got it. Next thing. There is no next thing. No, you're done. You, you, that's your life's work. And you're just going to put it on the ground? For a Nazi lady to pick up. Yeah, and she does. And then she starts leaving, and then she sets off a whole giant earthquake inside the temple, and she falls over and fumbles the grail into one of the deep crevices forming no, in the hold temple. on a second. When you say fumble, I'm thinking of a quarterback gets his arm back there, no tuck rule, and he gets his <laughs> arm hit, and the ball just kind of drops to the ground. This here is what happens when one of those idiot meathead linemen try to dive on it and they just punch <laughs> it with their hands and it goes 15 yards in a different it's direction. It's a lot like trying to get the diamond at the beginning of Temple of Doom. That's exactly what it is. And she, like, punches this thing down the crevice. Yeah, and then she's like, all right, well, I'm going to go in after it. But Indy catches her. But instead of letting Indy lift her up out of this crevice, she pulls out one of her hands to try to reach the grail that's just outside of her grasp. And Indy's like, yeah, you got to stop doing that. You got to give me your other hand or, or you're going to fall to your death. I can help you out of here, but I need both hands. And she's like, I can, I can get the grail. It's right here. And then, you know, she falls to her death. Exactly. And then Indy falls into the crevice. Yeah, he does. But luckily, Daddy Jones catches him. So Indiana, having learned nothing, reaches for the grail. And his dad's like, no, you can't do that. Indiana, take a lesson from Elsa. Let it go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I really love this moment where he calls him Indiana, and Indy kind of like snaps junior. out of it instead of Junior, and he says, oh, okay, he gives him the second hand, he gets pulled out, and that girl is just going to be sitting at the bottom of whatever for eternity now. It's for, gone. Yeah, exactly. But it makes me think also, what happened if Elsa just grabbed the grail and just did a full-on sprint out the door? Like, is the whole world going to crumble? Is just temple-based crumble? I think just the temple crumbles and she has the grail but no way of proving it's the grail and also doesn't grant anybody immortality so it's just a cup at that point right it's just a, a carpenter's cup at that not even a fancy gold cup right i mean the inside's gold which i mean 
you know, can't not have any gold on a grail. Right. It has to have some gold, I think, to become a grail. That's by rule, by law. So the most modest place you could put the gold is inside the cup. So that's what Jesus was doing. He's like, you know what? Fine. Part of it will be gold, but the only the part that I can see. I'm a classy motherfucker. <laughs> I'm going to put the gold inside. I want to see that sweet shine on my last supper. Not all you fucks, especially the one who's betraying me. I know who it is. <laughs> I'm not going to say it, though. I'm not going to name names. I'm not some kind of Judas. <laughs> Oops, did I say that out oh, loud? Oh, shucks. It's so cool if Jesus made the Last Supper just super awkward. <laughs> hey, guys, guess I'm going to die tomorrow, but, like, tonight, we guys, we can have some fun. I don't know what's going to happen, but somebody here has betrayed me. Not naming names, nudge, nudge, nudge. <laughs> and he goes into a weird Eric Idol, Monty Python, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know what I mean? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Jesus, why do you keep hitting Judas like that? No reason. Just throwing bows. I was playing NBA Jam. And I got in the mood. Yeah, I was heating up. Not like hell where Judas is going to go. <laughs> We're all friends here. We can joke. <laughs> We're having fun. This is probably our most blasphemous episode ever. Without a doubt it is. <laughs> Mostly because of the Mickey stuff. <laughs> Jesus stuff. Eh, it's all been said before. It's true. So everyone leaves the crumbling temple, except for the 700-year-old man who just happily waves goodbye to everyone. Which is <laughs> <just> so weird. <laughs> so it's weird. one of those like... Thanks for destroying my house, I guess. <laughs> well, at least I'll have something to tell the next people who show up. Probably not. <laughs> and it's not like I can just get a drink of water, because now I'll die. Because <laughs> right. I have all these fake grails. I'm going to be thirsty forever. Neat. <laughs> this day did not go how I thought it would. I've been waiting for this day for 700 years, and it finally arrived, and it was worse. You're off my top eight on MySpace, Indy. I like that they never give this knight a name. They're just like, it's the knight. He's the guardian of the Holy Grail. Do you think he even remembers his own name? Like, at a certain point, 700 years, you're like, I haven't had to tell anyone my name for 700 years. I'm just here. I mean, what do you just sit there in solitude for 700 years? What do you do with your time? You have a lot of time to think. Maybe that's why he's so calm. Maybe. Like, he's just been meditating the whole time. He's got headspace with the weird Australian man with his accent just talking to his ears. And he's like, I feel calm for only 10 minutes at a time. <laughs> he's just been planning what he's going to say when somebody does show up. Like, you chose poorly. Got him. It would be even better if he treated this thing like Gene Hackman and Young Frankenstein. How everyone's just leaving. He's like, no, come back. I was going to make espresso. <laughs> I got all these cool cups to serve it in. It's a shame. I wonder if you take one of the fake grails outside of the temple, if it'll still kill you when you drink from it. That's a really good question. He should test it, first of all, because he's really old and probably wants out. Right. But I don't know. He's got nothing to lose at this point. Right. At this point, the grail's buried. So. It's buried and his house is broken. <laughs> well, I mean, how often do you go through like the, the saw blades and everything to go to that part of the house anyway? That's true. Like, What is he guarding at this point now? Like, His purpose is gone. I get that. But is his life gone? It's not like an old person needs to do, like, Sudoku to keep them fresh. <laughs> I'm unsure if when the Grail crosses that threshold, if he all of a sudden is not immortal either. But, I mean, he's 700 years old. If he wasn't, he should have died instantly. But he still has enough energy to wave goodbye to everyone. So That's true. Hard to say. Anyway, everyone goes outside, and Daddy Jones calls Indy Jr. again. And Sala's like, what the hell does that mean? What is this Jr. word? 
and Henry tells him Indy's full name, Henry Jones Jr., a moniker that Indy himself detests. Don't call me Junior. I want to be called Indiana. And Daddy Jones is like, Indiana's the name of our dog. Which is amazing. And I have an actual IMDb trivia fact for that, of course. I bet you do for this one also. (laughs) Henry Jones Sr. notes to Henry Indiana Jones Jr. that they named their dog Indiana. George Lucas had a dog named Indiana that inspired Indiana Jones' name. Due to its appearance and size, the dog also inspired the character of Chewbacca in Star Wars. Chewbacca, of course, was the sidekick of Han Solo, also portrayed by Harrison Ford. That's a pretty famous-ass dog. That's a very famous-ass dog. It's like a muse of a dog to just one man. Gorsh. (laughs) So Indiana, Henry, Sala, and Brody ride off on horseback into the sunset, knowing the real Holy Grail was the friends they made along the way. Of course it was. And that is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade from 1989, directed by the Steven fucking Spielberg. I love this movie. It's so great. It is so much fun. It is probably the best story of the first three. Yeah. Again, I think Raiders is a better movie, better made movie, did a whole lot more for pushing cinema forward. Yes. In the grand scheme of things. But I think this is just so perfect. It's so much fun. I love getting the backstory and the Indiana Jones character himself. I love how they got back to their roots. And I know that was really, really important for Spielberg and Lucas because I think they both recognized that Temple of Doom was a swing and a miss. So they got the band back together and said, we need Sala in this. We need Marcus Brody in this. Let's give him a daddy so he has daddy issues to get some depth in there. Oh, we want Karen Allen back? No! Bring a different lady in. We got close enough. We determined very early on that different lady every movie. I just think that this movie is so much fun. And if you watch this movie and don't have fun, you're the problem. You might be broken inside. Like poor Mickey's skull (laughs) underneath Dave's boot. My boot? I'm the one doing it? I mean, you made it seem like you really wanted to. I'm not saying I do or do. I'm already kind of incriminated for the burning down of Skywalker Ranch if they ever touch this movie again. Yeah, I might. Yeah, sure. (laughs) But in the situation I laid out, Bugs Bunny clearly did it to get control of Toontown. That's true. That's true. It's all Bugs. It's always been Bugs. And that sets up a whole crazy sequel of Roger Rabbit, even though we don't have Bob Hoskins anymore. Right. How can you do a sequel to Roger Rabbit without Mario Mario? Get Luigi Mario. Make it a Child like Wasabi movie. I would watch that. <laughs> oh, God. I've created a monster. But isn't that what Disney has been the whole time anyway? <laughs> you had a lot of IMDb trivia facts in there. Yeah, I believe there were nine, actually. How many do you think I had? I think you had four. That's how many I pulled anyway. I did have four. What do you think were mine that you chose not to read? I suspect this is a Dave IMDb trivia fact. Harrison Ford worked as a carpenter before becoming an actor. Jesus was the son of a carpenter. Harrison Ford and Jesus are not related, or at least there's not evidence supporting that they are related. Yep, that's what. Indiana Jones is looking for the cup of a carpenter. In his past life, Harrison Ford worked as a carpenter. That's not to say Jesus. That's not to say Harrison Ford died in, let's say, 1629 or something, and then was reborn in 1942 as an actor. He was a carpenter in his younger days, and then changed his career path to become an actor. Also true. Also on IMDb, (laughs) that you can read anytime you want. Harrison Ford is not actually an archaeologist. He is using his acting talents to portray one in this film. Similarly, Sir Ian McKellen is not an actual wizard in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. He's also just acting. Yep. Straight out of extras. That's where that one comes from. Three for three. 
Harrison Ford is either left-handed or right-handed in this film, or both, or neither. He has hands. That part is at least known. What we, what he does with them isn't anyone's business. Yep, four for four. All those Nailed are it. on IMDb, and you can see them all you want. You can mark them as helpful or interesting. You should mark them as helpful or interesting, whatever it might be. But also, maybe submit some facts your own. Maybe yeah. lay some breadcrumbs. We put up a calendar every single month, the beginning of the month, and you know what's coming up of the movies we're going to talk about. Maybe sprinkle in some of your goodies if you want and make Brian read them. <laughs> if you're listening to this when it first comes out, now's your chance to get on that mummy IMDb and just go nuts. Have a blast. Go wild with it because it's not hard to. <laughs> they will just about approve anything. It's true, except Unless it's a poop joke. Weirdly poop jokes. <laughs> they really draw a hard line. Wait a minute. This doesn't sound true at all. They're making fun of her name. It's not wrong, though, that we don't know of Harrison Ford and Jesus ancestry. We don't know it. None of your IMDb facts are technically false, so. No, it's none of our business what Harrison Ford does with his hands. That, that's true. The Allison Duty one wasn't true, though, so I understand them not, <laughs> I understand them not approving that one. I'm happy they didn't. It showed me that someone actually is looking, and that means that some idiot is there reading every bit of bullshit that I put by him. That must be an exhausting job, and I can understand why at some point you just go, yep, approved, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, fine. I Whatever. don't care anymore. You used proper grammar. Sometimes you don't even have to do that. No, sometimes you definitely don't. So I think we're in agreement that we love this movie. Yes. What do you think the critics thought of it? Rotten Tomatoes, 1 on 100. 85. 88. Ooh. Audience scores 94%. Roger Ebert did see this movie, and he gave it three and a half stars out of four. Okay. He said, as I watched it, I felt a real delight because recent Hollywood escapist movies have become too jaded and cynical, and they have lost the feeling that you can stumble over astounding adventures just by going on a hike with your scout troop. <laughs> he went on to talk about like that feeling of almost nostalgia for these movies. Okay. Which is weird to do because a it's little soon to be doing five it, yeah. years since the last one. But that's kind of the whole direction of his entire review, because he goes on to say, if there is just a shade of disappointment after seeing this movie, it has to be because we will never again have the shock of this material seeming new. Raiders of the Lost Ark now more than ever seems a turning point in the cinema of escapist entertainment. And there was really no way Spielberg could make it new all over again. It seems like he's calling out Spielberg a little bit there. A little bit. Kind of saying that he's kind of cookie-cuttering his movies in a way. Hey, this is great, but you can't surprise us anymore, you big dumb jerk. But it also might say something about Raiders of the Lost Ark that it was just that groundbreaking. That's true, yeah. That it is a hard formula to replicate over and over again. And even the fact that you can get some new delight out of this story, which does rehash a lot of the same things, it's hard to do that. It's hard to get that much water out of the same stone. Right, because at this point, they don't they have a 50% track record because one of them didn't land as well as the original or this one. So even though Temple of Doom, Roger Ebert loved. Yeah. Until he went on television with Kate Capshaw and then didn't love it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden was like, wow, oh, she was awful. But that was kind of by design. Yeah, we all know friends like that who changed their tune. The drop of the hat. <laughs> what is everybody else saying? That's my opinion, too. That's right. I'm going to adopt that opinion, that sweet baby opinion. Our good friends on Letterboxd didn't really have much to say about this movie. It's kind really? of universally loved. But from January 6, 2014, 
glamorizes archaeology, anti-fascism, Judeo-Christian myth, dads, murder, and blimps. (laughs) It's great. It's a glamorous blimp, if I've ever seen one. Sure is. From October 28th, 2019, Han Solo and James Bond said, fuck them Nazis. (laughs) That is the best synopsis ever written for this movie. I completely agree. From May 23rd, 2019, reminds me of being nine and eating a really sugary cereal at a less healthy friend's house because my own mother wouldn't buy it for me. Just getting mesmerized by a loud maze hosted by a cartoon wolf or bird on the back of the box and then getting to pour nine bowls and it tastes like cookies or fruit candy. That's this movie. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Absolutely. That somehow is totally correct. I don't know how they nailed that moment of nostalgia, but yes, that is exactly what this movie is. And the last one I have is from January 8th, 2022. Father and son bond over having sex with the same woman, killing Nazis, and becoming immortal. Pretty cool. Pretty, pretty cool. That's a very recent one. It sure is. And on that note, let's give this thing a super stuff score. Let's do it. We start off with story and motivation. It's a one. Easy one. Easy one. And you know what? It might even be a one five because, yeah, it's a search for a holy grail, but it's also the search to have this fatherly bond with a guy who's kind of neglected you your whole life. Right. The the classic Spielberg father story. Exactly. So I want to go one five. I think this is the best story of the original trilogy. I agree. One five. Hero. 1-5 1-5 again. It's Indiana fucking Jones. It's and Indiana, Indiana and Jonesing all over the screen. In his prime. Yeah, it is. Villains. Nazis are bad. Nazis. And you even get a cameo from Hitler in this one. You really do. Kind of got to go one or else there's something wrong with us. Right? They're not pussyfooting around with like just lower level unnamed Nazi guys. They, they go for it here. They're like, it's Hitler, you know, because he signs the book. That's right. And he's got really basic cursive. Right? It's, it's super basic. Hitler's a basic bitch. Maybe that's why. Mm, yeah, that checks out. All about those pumpkin spice lattes, Hitler. <laughs> that's right. He wears leggings with boots. <laughs> oh. First day of fall. Hitler's just going marching down the street. Gotta get my PSL. <laughs> PSL. One for villains. Parents. We know for fact one is dead. Yes, we At do. this point. So that's a point five. That's a point five. We did a thing. We finally did a thing. I told you we'd get there. Female characters. Elsa. Elsa. And I think she wants to be more complicated than she is. It seems like it. It seems like they're trying to give her some sort of like, kind of like a hint of a redemption arc, and then they just go, no, we're not going to give you that after all. Right. She is a Nazi after all. Exactly. I kind of want to go point five because i do like the femme fatale the old switcheroo that she does yeah but i also like how her heart is sort of in the right place for a nazi sorry if you can't hear those eggshells that i'm walking on right <laughs> i, I want to go a point five. i like elsa all right i think it's a cool character i think it does something different than especially any of these for the have done yeah we'll give it a point five i feel dirty about it but we'll give it a point five setting I think the opening in Arches National Park is amazing. I think yes. that when you go to Venice, it's Venice. It's amazing. It's Venice. Petra actually went there and shot, and it's amazing again. Super cool. You got the actual castle. It looks great. Yeah. We're everywhere in this movie, and 
you feel like you're everywhere. You don't feel like you're locked in a studio like you did with Temple of Doom. And I right. really appreciate that. Until X's start disappearing. Which is a big problem. I'm going to go a full-blown one on this one. Full-blown one. I like it. Style and tone. This is an Indiana Jones movie that's really sure of itself. Yeah. And it's the first one that we have that's really sure of itself. I completely agree with that. It knows exactly what it is. It's super self-aware. I don't think it has the same visuals that Raiders has, because Raiders lands really, really well. Agreed. Temple of Doom takes the wrong turn at Albuquerque for the most part. Exactly. And it kind of comes off a bit goofy and fake a lot of the time. But when you look at what they're doing here with Last Crusade, you feel like you're in the real world. Like there's a real world issue that you're going up against. So you have to see Europe itself. Yeah. Like I feel like the Nazis, they were in the first film as well. And they played a major role in the first film. But here, actually getting to see Hitler and seeing swastikas even more so out there, like being on the Nazis' home turf, I feel like that lends so much more style and tone to this movie. And in terms of tone, you get away from that darkness that you felt all throughout right. Temple of Doom. Exactly. It's and much more lighthearted and a ton more fun. And it's even more lighthearted than Raiders is. Oh, absolutely. I want to go 1-5. I love it. 1-5 is actually the perfect place for it to land because it's right in between the score we gave Raiders and Temple of Doom. Perfect. So. Amazing. Music. We know we have to start at one because it's John fucking Williams. And I think we're going to go to a round of one five for this one. Yeah, I think that's appropriate. There's a lot of really fun motifs. And they bring back the uh, the motif from the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, they do. When they're in the, the temple, which is great. It's John fucking Williams. What could go wrong? John fucking Williams. You can't go wrong with John Williams. One five for music. One liners. It's loaded. Again, let's just go one and call it a day. Absolutely loaded. No ticket gets a one on its own. Junior! Junior! If you're a Scottish Lord, then I'm Mickey Mouse. Don't say that again. That's how Mickey gets curb stomped. My bad, my bad. Disney characters. I hate these guys. (laughs) Full-blown one for one-liners, which brings us to impact on the genre. It got another. It did. It took a long time to get it, but it got another. Yes, it did take a very, very long time to get it. This was a trilogy for a really, really, really long time. Yes, before it became a quadrilogy and soon to be quintilogy. And it went out on such a perfect note, riding off into the sunset with your daddy. (laughs) He's also your Eskimo brother. It felt great. Yeah. But in terms of its impact on the genre, it gets a little tricky. This is a PG-13 movie proper now. That's true. I don't think it did a whole lot for the comic book genre, the superhero genre. It's just the third of a series of movies. I'll go .25 to acknowledge that it got another. Appropriate. I also made a butt ton of money. I think it tenfold made its budget back. It did at one point have the highest weekend opening of all time. Wow. Well, that's impressive. At $29 million. (laughs) All right. There you go. So, the times they are changing. Yeah. That is going to give Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade a total score of 10.25. Yeah, too low. What are you going to do? We tried. It feels low, but, you know, it is what it is. And that brings us to next week, and it has been the one I've been waiting for. It's going to be very interesting. It is Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And I know you've seen it. Give me your very, very quick thoughts before this latest rewatch of it. It'll be your second time seeing it? It'll be my second time seeing it. The first time I saw it was in theaters. Okay. 
Uh, and I was not familiar with any other Indiana Jones movies at that time. Yeah, weird one to go in on. All right. right? Started with the last one. Why not? <laughs> um, I enjoyed it quite a bit, actually. So When I saw it in theaters, I really enjoyed it. And then I bought it on DVD yeah. and watched it and went, eh, maybe not. And then I decided to give it another chance. And I went, all right, I really like that. And that was probably eight or nine years ago at this point. Yeah, okay. So it's been a while. And yeah. I'm really looking forward to watching this thing with fresh eyes. It's going to be an event. Sure, if that's the big word you want to use for it. You know, it's you go away for a long time, you come back, it's a, it's eventful. Way to justify the use of the word event. <laughs> I do a lot of justification these days, so. Next week, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Until then, be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Join us on Patreon this month for Groundhog Day. Thank you to our new patron, Victor Hart. Welcome. Welcome aboard, Victor. Thank you. Enjoy all the content that's there, because there's a lot. Congratulations on being one of our new favorites. That's right. It's an official title for all patrons, our favorites. Email us your questions and comments at katepodcastersgmail.com and be sure to follow us on social media at katepodcasters, especially on Facebook, where every week we put up a post saying, hey, we're recording this today. Give us your questions and comments. We got a few. Mike Lanham wrote in. He said, who's more iconic, Bond or Indy, and why? He said, there's only been one Indy technically, but quite a few bonds, so it might be more of a discussion than at initial glance. You don't tell me how to answer questions, Mike. <laughs> I want it in five paragraphs, double-spaced. Who the fuck this guy think he is? Dictating how we answer. I adore James Bond. I and know And that is this. not a secret at all. Indy's more iconic. Wow. I think it depends on what side of the Atlantic you ask the question on. We're on this side. And we are, and I, I'm going to go with Indy. I've also seen <laughs> every Indiana Jones movie and one Bond movie, so. We could fix that. Next January, all the James Bond movies. I had a different pitch for next January, but hey, we'll see. That's so many James Bond movies, and that's impossible to do, because there's only so many days in a month. We're going to do an episode every day. Nope. 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 No. No. Absolutely not. There you go, Mike. It's Indy. Jeff Miners wrote in and said, name a more iconic father-son duo. He also said, note, there isn't one. Yeah, that's that's a good note. It's, hey, I have a challenge for you. It's impossible. <laughs> have fun. Yeah, I'm good. I think you got it. Will Ferrell and John Lithgow and Daddy's Home 2. That's very specific. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> and I see your Will Ferrell, John Lithgow, and Daddy's Home 2. And I'm going to go with Mark Wahlberg and Mel Gibson from Daddy's Home 2. Oh, that's, that's also a good pick. So, actually, that was easier than I thought it would be. Yeah, we did it. We did it twice. We busted your impossible challenge, Jeff. Next week, Daddy's Home 2. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> and Captain Spoiler Micah wrote in and said, which of you has the best Sean Connery impression? Oh, God. He gave us a line to oh, read there's a as line? a challenge. Okay. And I kind of feel bad because we didn't really Connery this one up, even though Phil Hawkins said this episode is going to break the record for most Sean Connery impressions in a podcast. Oh, no. And it won't. And that's mostly because Phil's going to be coming on at some point in the future to talk League of Extraordinary Gentlemen with us. <laughs> and I promise you, that will do it. That'll be the episode, for sure. So the line that Captain Spoiler Micah gave us to read is a Groucho Marx line. Oh, that's surprising. And it's, one morning I shot an elephant in my pajamas. As Sean Connery. Okay. You go first. One morning I shot a... 
<laughs> elephant in my pajamas. One morning I shot an elephant in my pajamas. One morning I shot an elephant in my pajamas. Can you finish the line or no? Do you know it? I don't know it. I'll fi- gladly finish. That was good, though. That okay. was good. I got to get in the character. Junior! 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 One morning I shot an elephant in my pajamas. How we got there? I have no idea. <laughs> I went Nixon. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know. I don't know. That elephant it's... is not a crook. <laughs> There was a, it was like if Connery and Nixon had a baby. <laughs> That'd be the weirdest baby in the world. And again, a Bond movie I'd watch. It's both a gentleman and a scoundrel all at once. Sounds like a Star Wars villain. Sure does. Judge all you want, whoever won. I don't know. Yeah, you tell us who won. Yeah, we're dictating the rules. We're the Mike Lanham. That's right. I'm the Mike Lanham now. <laughs> Sorry, Mike, you lost your title of being you. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your questions. Everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We finish up the Indiana Jones movies next week with Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Same pod time. Same pod. Junior. Junior.